0: Hello, my loves, and welcome back to a brand new episode of the Unbreakable You podcast. Meg here, as always, and I am so excited to have yet another episode all about... periods. (laughs) Periods. <laughs> so I feel like we're kind of on a theme right now. Last week, we chatted with my friend Danny Sheriff about her experience through hypothalamic amenorrhea recovery and what that looked like for her. This week, we are joined by Lisa Hendrickson. And we're talking all about the female cycle, our hormones, our period, the history of birth control, and actually how you can track your cycle and know when you're ovulating. And you can actually do this to plan your pregnancy or prevent a pregnancy. So our bodies are so Fascinating. And I just think it's such a great time for me to be releasing this episode for you this week. I'm actually on my period right now. (laughs) You guys know I love talking about periods. I just love it. It's one of my favorite things to talk about ever. And I also love getting my period. And I know this isn't, um, you know, something that women usually look forward to, but I thoroughly look forward to getting my period. I went 12 years without my cycle. I had hypothalamic amenorrhea for 12 years, and I got my period back for the very first time in 12 years in August of 2019. So I'm about a month away from celebrating my one-year anniversary of overcoming hypothalamic amenorrhea, and I'm so excited about it. So I just feel like I'm in a period type of chatting mood, you know? (laughs) So if you're like me and you love talking about periods or learning more about periods and how to become even more empowered within your feminine body, then this episode is for you. I actually came across Lisa Hendrickson's work when I was going through my hypothalamic amenorrhea recovery. I found her podcast called Fertility Friday. And there's so much information in her podcast and it's awesome. I love Lisa. I love her work. And she also is the author of a book called The Fifth Vital Sign, which if you like this podcast episode, highly recommend going out to find her Book whether that's online or at your local bookstore just go find it get your hands on it and give it a read because Lisa is amazing and I know you are absolutely going to love today's episode so we should dive in I think chat all about periods, and just feel so empowered within our feminine body. Honestly, like I said, I'm on my period right now, and I'm actually day three right now as I record this. This is the day before the episode goes live, and I have cramps, and I'm just loving them. I'm so grateful. For this healthy body, when women are able to have a monthly cycle, that's a huge sign that their body is healthy and it feels safe and it's not overworked. It's not underfed. It's not overstressed. So I hope you are all getting your period. (laughs) But I know a lot of you aren't. So, I also want you to know if that's you, if you're one of those women who do not menstruate right now, I'm your girl. I'm your biggest cheerleader, and I'm always here for you to support you through your recovery journey. So, never hesitate to reach out. You know where to find me. I am Meg Dahl on Instagram, or you can just shoot me an email at hello at com. All right, chickies, we'll chat next week. Enjoy the show. Hey, Lisa, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to sit down with you today.
1: Well, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be
0: here. Yeah, well... Our audience loves hearing about hormones and our periods. We love that talk. And I know that's what you're all about. Um, And you actually even wrote a book about it. So I'm really excited to sit down with you today and dive into women's health with you. It's going to be so much fun. But before we get started, why don't you introduce yourself to everyone listening?
1: Sure. Um, Well, I've been talking about periods and menstrual cycles and natural birth control and conception for almost two decades now. Um, When I was about between somewhere around 18 years old or so first year university, I discovered that I wasn't fertile every single day of the cycle. Uh, So I discovered fertility awareness and um, it really shifted everything for me. I had learned that Every day of the cycle was potentially fertile. That made me terrified of the thought of getting pregnant because I thought I could get pregnant on any single day kind of randomly. And then when I discovered fertility awareness and learned that there's a small window of fertility that you can identify and use for birth control if you want to by modifying your behavior, I really gravitated to that because it actually made me feel like I was more in control. And uh, so I jumped right in and was really on board to the birth control aspect and then discovered the connection between the menstrual cycle and overall health. So I discovered that when you track your cycles, you get more than birth control (laughs) um, or more than good timing because if you're having certain health issues or different issues um, in general, they show up in your cycles. So that really got me hooked. (laughs) And um, so I'm a certified fertility awareness educator um, I wrote the vital sign as a way to uh, kind of fill in some of those gaps because most women aren't taught much about their cycles or the fertility or how it relates to health. We're kind of taught that if you're trying to have babies, we should care about the menstrual cycle. But if we're not trying to have babies, it doesn't matter, which is not true. Um, so that's a little bit about me.
0: Yeah. And I can definitely resonate with what you just said about it. Um, in our lives, we experience like, oh, if we're not um, fertile or if we're not even getting our periods, it doesn't really matter if we don't want babies at that time. So just a little background on me and most of our listeners today know this about me is I had a for 12 years and I went to doctors and Even though I was working with a female doctor too, she just kind of like brushed me off and asked me if I wanted babies and at the time, no. And so it wasn't really a big deal to her and she never helped me move forward in getting my period back. So it wasn't until last year when I was like, okay, I need to change this on my own that I actually work to get my period back. And now I've been getting it every single month. So can we talk about the importance of having a period? Um, absolutely. I mean, when I hear stories
1: like yours, and I've heard many, uh, you're certainly not alone. Uh, it's just, it's really hard to, imagine uh, that you know medical professionals to this day are often not aware or concerned when women lose their periods. And I think that it comes it's it's related to the role of the birth control pill in quote unquote regulating the cycle. So it's kind of the go-to for things like that. Um, so what's interesting is that when we think of ovulation and the menstrual cycle and your period, we're really taught about it in the context of making babies. Uh, so a few important things about ovulation, um, a true menstrual cycle and a true menstrual period can only happen after you've actually ovulated. Um, as you approach ovulation, you produce your natural estrogen in increasing amounts. And you know that triggers ovulation to happen. And after you ovulate is when you produce your natural progesterone in significant quantities. So when you're not ovulating, you're actually not making significant progesterone. And when you're on hormonal birth control, you would be getting a synthetic version of that that isn't the same as what you're getting. And so in a healthy woman of reproductive age who is not on some sort of hormonal um, birth control method, regular ovulation is a sign of health. And what's interesting, what I find the most interesting in stories like yours, when you talk about how your doctor wasn't concerned, is that when we look at the research, it's quite clear that when women stop ovulating, so in the case of amenorrhea, uh, that's associated with a significant increase in bone loss. So women who stop ovulating rapidly lose bone mass. And especially for women who, um, let's say, are teenagers or they haven't fully matured, it could prevent them from ever developing what they call, what they refer to as peak bone mass. So we don't really reach our peak maximum amount of bone development until somewhere in our 20s or 30s. So for women who are amenorrhea for many, many years throughout their teenage years or their early 20s, it predisposes them, makes um, them at higher risk to develop osteoporosis later in life. Um, I've worked with women who for one reason or another, whether it was an eating disorder or disordered eating patterns, uh, excessive exercise without compensating with uh, adequate calories and food, whatever the reason was, but women who weren't menstruating, who had actually been diagnosed with osteoporosis in their 20s. <laughs> so, um, I mean, we have the, the medical research. It's not an issue of, is there research to back this? It's uh, an issue of awareness in, in my uh, opinion. And so from that perspective, if a woman stops menstruating, we should be looking at that as an emergency because there are consequences that go well beyond. I mean, even if you never want to have babies, I'm guessing we don't want to have brittle bones at the age of 25. I feel like this is an important overall health concern that we should be attuned to. So I I think the bigger question is why is it not considered to be somewhat of an emergency when women are not ovulating regularly?
0: Yes. Amen. So years ago, when I approached my doctor about that, she introduced me to birth control and that was her um, suggestion for me to get my period back. So I know this is a topic you really enjoy talking about as well, um, about why, like other options other than birth control and why birth control might not be the best answer for us.
1: Well, I think that um, one of the questions, just in the general sense, I mean, birth control initially was to prevent pregnancy. When it was first developed, it was only legal for pregnant or not pregnant, married women to get it. So when The pill was first developed, they were testing it on grown women who had already, their cycles had already matured and they were taking it for shorter periods of time. And so now the pill is used for all kinds of different issues as a treatment. And I know I get a lot of flack when I talk about the pill in different ways, but I think it's really important to understand how uh, the pill and other types of hormonal birth control work in the body. Because uh, when it was first developed, it's really interesting So the pill first came out in the 60s. So in the years before that, um, the researchers or the men who were developing the pill gave it to groups of women. Some of the women had been trying to get pregnant. So there was kind of a thought of like, maybe we can trigger the cycle back or make something, um, kind of switch some things around to make them more likely to get pregnant. But whatever the case, the first iteration of the pill didn't include the seven-day sugar pills. <laughs> so the women went on the pill and stopped menstruating entirely. And many of those women became convinced that they were pregnant because back in nineteen you know fifty something, there had never been a pill. And so the only reason that you would stop menstruating was if there was a legitimate medical issue, if you were breastfeeding or if you were pregnant. <laughs> and so, um, you know, the doctors had to really explain to these women that they weren't pregnant. And the reason they weren't getting their periods was because they were on the pill. And so that's what prompted them to add in the um, the, the uh, sugar pill, so the week off type of thing, and they selected 28 days, uh, you know, in, in as a pill cycle, so that it mirrored the menstrual cycle. But really, they could have chosen 36, 102, and now you know, some 60, 70 odd years later. Now we see pill formulations that are continuous and all types of things because now the market is ready for that. So I bring that up because even back then when they put the women on the pill, they basically told them that it was the same thing as like, as if they were having their regular cycle. And we still continue to tell women that to this day. So for example, if you stop getting your period altogether, um, many times the doctors will say, okay, well, we'll put you on the pill and that'll regulate your cycle. So when you're on the pill, you don't have a true menstrual period. You, you know, some women actually don't, some women who are hypo, uh, who are amenorrheic still don't bleed. I just want to put that
0: that was me. I still wasn't (laughs) bleeding. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. Because I know for some women, if they're not bleeding, they may go on hormonal birth control. And then during their seven-day you know, sugar pill phase, they would have a bleed. But you're not having a true menstrual period unless you're ovulating. Mm-hmm. Um, and as in your case, and I spoke to a number of women who were amenorrheic, they didn't get, even on their sugar pill days, there was no bleeding at all. Um, so what's important to know is that the pill doesn't induce a menstrual cycle. The pill creates a fake... Uh, hormone synthetic situation in your body. Um, and so because of that, if you ha- or have lost your period due to a health issue, then the pill isn't solving it. It's kind of putting a band-aid over it and allowing you to have a bleed if, if you even do. Um, but it doesn't address the underlying issue. And there have been research studies that are done on the pill and its effect on bone loss. So in women with HA, the pill slows bone loss in some areas. There was one study where they looked at the bone density in different areas, like the hip and the spine and different areas. And so there were some areas where the bone loss slowed, but it didn't stop the bone loss entirely. Uh, So these are really important points. It's not to say that the pill can't be used um, in, you know, different situations or um, that it's never appropriate, but I think what's more important is for us to be really clear on what it does and what it doesn't do. So for example, in the case of HA, if a woman stops menstruating, um, the pill is not, ne- is, is just not going to solve that problem. Um, <laughs> and I'm sure in your case you can resonate. So with HA, the, um, there's three main factors that contribute to HA. HA. So one is under eating, two over exercise, and three stress. So it's like this trifecta of a disaster for women. Um, Many women women athletes and in the research, they talk about sports that have a focus on thinness, like gymnastics and figure skating and ballet. And I was a ballerina, so I saw it with my own eyes. (laughs) Um, The emphasis on thinness and how it can predispose us to try to make these perfectly lean, very skinny bodies by controlling what we eat and exercising a lot. So um, there's so much research to show why these things happen. And so uh, instead of jumping to the pill, we would hope that practitioners would have more of an in-depth understanding of these issues so that the first question isn't, let's put you on a pill, but you know, are you eating enough food?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: How often do you exercise?
0: <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, exactly. So I would imagine that a lot of women come to you on the pill and are wanting to transition off in order to take a little bit more control of their health in their own hands rather than relying on a pill?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, women come to me at various stages. Uh, So, I mean, I think what's important is that I don't believe that there's one birth control method for every woman or for every period of her life. So uh, there are times when, for example, a lot of women, when they're in their early twenties, late teens, it's just too much. (laughs) And so that would be appropriate for that time. And so I, you know, I think that when women get to that point where they're ready to either, they're ready to try a non-hormonal method, maybe they've been making a lot of health changes in their life, So they've been eating clean, buying organic, you know, getting hormone-free meat, uh, and then it occurs to them that taking a synthetic hormone pill every day may not align with their new values. Uh, so wherever you know, there or for women who are curious about what their cycles would be like, or who are planning to conceive at some point and thinking, okay, well, I haven't seen my real cycle for years. So um, I certainly support women making that transition when they come off the pill, because it's terrifying. We've been taught that you can get pregnant on every single day. So a lot of women equate being off the pill to being pregnant. Like if I come off the pill, I'm going to be pregnant like mm-hmm. that afternoon. Um, so I think a big part of it is education. How does the cycle really work? Am I fertile every day? How do, I identif- how do I identify when I'm fertile? And also what do I do when I come off the pill to minimize the chance of an unplanned pregnancy? Um, What I find to be interesting is that um, I I, I speak to a lot of women who, you know, they're in their mid-30s, they have successful careers, very complex lives, but are very much in doubt of their ability to um, prevent pregnancy without using hormones. And so a big part of it is a shift in mindset. Um, It is possible to prevent pregnancy without hormones. Uh, It's different. It means you have to have conversations with your partner. You have to actually modify your behavior. You have to have conversations about around barrier methods, or uh, you know, you have to understand, you know, understand how you're going to manage your fertile window. So, are you, is your partner comfortable using condoms? Uh, have you ever considered using a diaphragm? Or like, you have to kind of figure out what is comfortable for you uh, with the fertility awareness method. When you first come off of the pill. There's a transition phase that we all go through. So you don't, for in particular for women who use the pill long term, so say two years or more, um, you don't come off the pill and have like a perfectly textbook cycle that the way that it looks in taking charge of your fertility, um, where it's exactly twenty eight days and you have exactly five days of mucus, has you and then you have you know, you have exactly twelve days of phase. It doesn't look like that right off the bat. Um, It's really common to come off the pill and have irregular cervical mucus patterns. So um, for the listeners who might not be aware, cervical mucus is a natural fluid that we produce as we approach ovulation um, when we're not on any type of hormonal cycle. And so some women may have noticed it. It can look like creamy white hand lotion. It can look like raw egg whites. And in a healthy typical cycle, you would produce it anywhere from two to seven days, and then you would ovulate and then it would stop until your next cycle. So some women come off the pill and they don't see any for the first couple cycles. Some women see it very sporadically or have a very limited amount. So that can be a little bit challenging, especially in the first couple of cycles post pill. Um, some women notice that they come off the pill and it takes a while for ovulation to return and for them to actually get their first period. And so the women who are most at risk of having a delay in the return of their ovulation would be women who actually did have cycle issues before they were put on the pill. So if you were put on the pill because you weren't getting your period or because your periods only came four or five times a year and you didn't know when they were coming, uh, that the pill didn't resolve those issues. Those issues are still there. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's important to know that. So all of that into consideration, then when you're making that transition, you have to have like a plan B, <laughs> you have to have a way to manage your fertility while you're transitioning into normal cycling, uh, particularly when you're really not wanting to have babies at this point.
0: Right. So I do want to go more into the cervical mucus, because I find that fascinating. And when I started eating more, exercising less, gaining weight, which was key for me to get my cycle back, um, I started finally producing some cervical mucus. And it was like the most exciting thing that had ever happened to me um, next to getting my period back. Um, and I love seeing it. And I think that would be such a great topic to talk a little bit more about. But before we get into that, can we um, first talk a little bit more about the transition and what that actually looks like for a woman who is transitioning off of birth control and now wants to do the fertility awareness method it
1: well I think um we touched on it but it, it looks different for different women so some women come off the pill and they get their they ovulate within 14 days and get their first period basically right on time quote unquote and uh from what I've seen over the years for if a woman, so let's say that you, you know, you started menstruating at whatever age, average age, age is about, you know, 13. But um, let's say, you, you know, you started menstruating and then you actually didn't go on the pill immediately after you had your first period. So if you actually, so um, one way to look at it is that if you kind of think back to puberty back in the day, uh, when I think back to puberty, I remember it taking several years for my breast to fully develop. I remember having these painful breast buds. They were just kind of swollen. And then years later I had these normal adult breasts Um, and then I had babies and then they changed again. But the point is that it took several years for them to fully mature and become the adult breasts that we know and love today. And similarly with the menstrual cycle, it's a um, well-known within the research, whether we're looking at uh, the, you know, the, the average length of the menstrual cycle, it's well known that it takes a few years for the menstrual cycle to become robust and ovulatory. Um, so for a woman, you know, you have your first period, it's quite normal in those first couple years after your first period for the cycle length to vary a bit more. And on average, anywhere from about 21 to 45 days would be for a woman within those first four to five years after their very first period, that's how much variation we would expect. Um, So for some women, it does, it takes a bit of time before they jump into regular robust ovulatory cycles. And then once you get past that initial phase, kind of like puberty-ish, then um, the cycle in a healthy typical woman ranges anywhere from about 24 to 35 days or so. So it's more of a narrow range. And that's when we get into the average of a 29-day cycle. So for a woman who went on the pill, like within the first year of having her period or for a woman who did have issues with her cycle, it was very irregular, and she was put on the pill as a like medic for medical reasons. Uh, In those cases, that transition period can be more challenging because then it's kind of a wild card. And what's interesting is when they look at the research and how long it takes women to get pregnant post pill or how long it takes for um, the cycle to normalize, they'll exclude women that had issues. So you would have been excluded from the study. <laughs> um, so with that in mind, I would say that's kind of the first part of the transition to kind of be attuned to. Because when you're coming off, it's possible that you could start ovulating and menstruating right away, which means that it's you have to basically consider yourself potentially fertile from day one. Um, because you don't know if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So when you're transitioning to fertility awareness, the best piece of advice is to, you know, you don't use fertility awareness right away. You have to use a different method of birth control while you start tracking your cycle and understanding and learning the main fertile signs. So for example, condoms or a diaphragm or a combination of the two or you know, condoms and withdrawal. I've had a number of clients who will use condoms and also withdraw, so whatever makes you feel comfortable, but know that step one is coming up with a backup birth control method to allow yourself time to learn the method. So then step two is charting. So once you come off the pill, you just start charting. The three main signs are your cervical mucus, your basal body temperature, and cervical position, which is an optional sign. For many of the women who I've worked with whose cervical mucus is, their, their patterns are abnormal right off the bat, often the cervix gives a, an additional piece of information so that's very useful. And um, so it, it's kind of like off to the races. When you're learning, if you're learning from a book or if you're learning on your own without the support of a qualified instructor, it's absolutely essential to wait uh, three full cycles to allow yourself to start to understand, to start to see what your cervical mucus looks like, to start to understand how to identify ovulation and to really get a handle on how to identify the difference between your fertile days and your infertile days. So the recommendation is three full cycles before you even consider going unprotected. And if you do consider going unprotected, it would be only after you've confirmed ovulation with your basal body temperature and your cervical, um i do recommend for women to work with an instructor when they are really set on using fertility awareness as a birth control method because um, like any new skill that you learn there's a lot of nuances it's not so hard that women can't figure it out but um there's just a lot of questions that come up especially if you are post pill, because your cycles take a while to normalize. So there's just more questions that you'll end up having. Why am I seeing this on this day? Why didn't this happen? Why didn't ovulation happen this time? Why is my luteal phase only eight days? How do I improve these things? Mm -hmm. So when you have those types of questions, it's really helpful to have a qualified, experienced, um, uh, uh, you know, instructor to help you navigate through that.
0: Mm -hmm, For sure. So can we start and this is really why I wanted you to come on the show. You kind of touched on this before, but you said so many women are kind of um, hesitant about coming off the pill. And again, just to be very clear, I support modern day medicine and natural medicine and all of these alternative options that we have. But a lot of us listening to this podcast We want to be in control of our health and we feel very empowered when we're taking care of ourselves in these ways that we talk about on the show. So I just wanted to be clear. And the reason I really wanted to have you on is because there are so many women who feel like oh, I, I don't know if I can actually do this. They don't have that confidence in their themselves. And we like as children, we were never really like equipped with this knowledge about our amazing bodies. So I really wanted to have you on the show to talk about these things. So can we start talking about tracking our temperatures and like what that actually looks like?
1: Yeah, Absolutely. And to kind of respond to the concern of, I don't think I could really do this. Part of my job, I always say to my clients, is deprogramming. <laughs> um, we've been programmed to be terrified of our bodies. And part of the reason why we are so terrified is because we really don't understand what's going on. Uh, when I was taught that I was fertile every day and there were no safe days, that, that's what they told me, but they didn't say why. I didn't understand why it was just like this impending threat.
0: <laughs> I yeah. not
1: understand it.
0: Yeah. It's like, <laughs> once you get your period, it's like, Oh my gosh, you can get pregnant like any day now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, and so there's so much that isn't said, uh, our fertility changes with age. So, uh, it's different when you're, you know, 21 versus when you're 35 and, uh, that information about being fertile every single day and you know you just have to look at your partner and you'll be pregnant type of thing um, it doesn't really allow us to prepare uh, efficiently for pregnancy post pill so I think that it's really uh, important just uh, to have someone say to you so I'm I just turned 37 years old so I've been using fertility awareness um, basically throughout my entire reproductive life, um, I have two children that were excessively planned. So that means that out of those years of, um, you know, if I were to count up all the months that I actually actively tried to get pregnant between the two children, it was six. <laughs> uh, so outside of those six months and then the periods of pregnancy and, uh, uh, you know, etc., I successfully prevented pregnancy. So it's possible, I think that's the first thing, like it's possible to do this. And there are women who can't be on birth hormones. There are women who have um, been identified to be sensitive to, you know, estrogen containing hormones, et cetera. So there are women who can't be on birth control who are able to successfully prevent pregnancy. So uh, it's normal to be afraid. It's normal to be scared. I think the first step is really just to start understanding the way the body works. So the basal body temperature is really helpful Um, It doesn't predict ovulation. What it does is it helps you to confirm ovulation. And the basal body temperature is related to our hormones and our hormone, hormone cycle. So I mentioned earlier that as we approach ovulation, we're producing increasing amounts of estrogen. And as we produce estrogen, as we approach ovulation, that's what stimulates our cervix to make mucus. So it's kind of like this. I mean, maybe it's cheesy, but it's kind of like symphony that's going on, but it's it's not random. I think that's really helpful. We're not rabbits. Like we don't get bee and just ovulate like terror, terrorist ovulation <laughs> randomly <laughs> happening. It's, it's uh, really regulated by our hormones and they happen in a cycle. And so there's a pattern. And so, you know, in a healthy cycle, you would then see cervical mucus as you approach ovulation when you're che- te- checking your temperature. So with the basal body temperature, it's taking it every morning before you get out of bed. So it's just, you know, it's as simple and as difficult as that.
0: Yeah. And when you do
1: that <laughs> and you track it and you put it in your app or you put it on your chart or however you're doing it, after you ovulate, you produce this surge of progesterone which shuts down your mucus production. So you can actually confirm ovulation when you track your mucus because when your mucus dries up um, or significantly changes, that is one of the ways that you can help to confirm that you ovulate it. Progesterone has a thermogenic effect on the body. And after you ovulate, that means it actually raises your core temperature. And so when you're tracking your temperature, you can measure that. And so for the science heads around us, myself included, uh, that was one of the things that gravitated to earth because it was fascinating, right? Like you're taking your temperature and then you ovulate and then you see it rise and stay high and then you see it drop and then you get your period and then you do it all over again so you can imagine like almost 20 years in (laughs) uh this is a consistent pattern that happens it's not always perfect and yeah your temperature can be weird if you've got a fever or if you um get up later or something one day but overall it's a very clear pattern it's very it's, it's fascinating um and then if you are charting with a specific method so i teach my clients a version of the symptothermal method, meaning we're looking at the mucus and the temperature, there's different ways to track, there's different types of methods. Um, then you're able to con- confirm ovulation by cross-checking the two. So you look at your cervical mucus when you're making it, when it dries up and you match that to your temperature. And um, that helps you to confirm that you have in fact ovulated. Once you've ovulated and you've confirmed it, it's impossible to get pregnant if you have unprotected sex, meaning your partner ejaculates inside of your body, you can't get pregnant. And I think that's the thing that for most women when they're making that shift to fertility awareness, it's like, it's like it breaks a part of your brain. It's like, what do you mean mm-hmm. <laughs> my partner could ejaculate inside of my body on certain days and I couldn't get pregnant? Because that's not what I was taught. I was taught that it's all, we're always fertile. Mm-hmm. So this is where the biology becomes really important for us to understand. So outside of the fertile window, our vagina is actually a sperm-killing machine. It's acidic. Our cervix is closed and blocked with a thick mucus plug that the sperm can't penetrate. And it kind of makes sense because our uterus is an internal organ. So it would make sense that it shouldn't just be open all the time and make us susceptible to infection. So it's actually this ingenious, um, you know, Mother Nature is way smarter than we are. So we're only able to get pregnant from a scientific standpoint, six days in the cycle. So five days before ovulation, because our mucus can keep sperm alive up to five days, plus the day of ovulation. But um, when you're using a method, we have to add you know, buffer periods to that. So the, the actual number of days that you would be tracking that you would consider fertile is gonna be more than just six. Um, but it's really, I think for a lot of women, after they start to chart and they start to get comfortable with it, um, they finally start to try the method and realize that it works like your period comes and you can, you can do this. I feel that the confidence comes from being around women who've done it, getting really good instruction and then the experience of doing it yourself.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, and how empowering too. Right. So can we talk about like what the mucus actually looks like during like that fertile window versus other times?
1: Yeah. um, As you approach ovulation, mucus typically falls into two categories. It may look like creamy white hand lotion. So like quite literally like hand lotion. Uh, Or it may look like stretchy egg whites, like raw egg whites, meaning that it's clear. And if you were to pull it up between your fingers, it forms a bit of a thread between your fingers. Mm -hmm. Um, But some, you know, some women don't see large quantities. Not all women actually have enough mucus to be able to stretch it between their fingers. So for some women, they're gonna notice that on certain days of their cycle, when they go to the bathroom and they're wiping themselves, it's really, really slippery. So mm-hmm. for some women having that lubricative sensation when they're wiping or kind of feeling that wetness and then you we know, don't <laughs> Yeah. Um, that's really their sign. And particularly women who are coming off the pill It's not uncommon to have less mucus where you're really not seeing as much um, on the days that you see it. Maybe you see it once or twice during the day, um, or maybe you only have like one or two days. Uh, One thing I'll say though, that's really important (laughs) because a lot of women who are then well aware of fertility awareness and the menstrual cycle and what it should look like, if they notice that their cycles are abnormal and maybe their mucus patterns are abnormal they'll kind of think wow my cycle's such a mess i couldn't get pregnant and they might think like you would be wrong so any cycle where ovulation occurs regardless of how much mucus you see pregnancy is possible so this is why it's really important to have a backup method so that you can really learn what's happening in your body and start to understand in cases like that, you may have to just not have any unprotected sex in the pre-ovulatory phase until you can understand and make sense of maybe these patterns. Um, so it's really just important to understand those things because I've worked with a, a number of women over the years. And if you see that your cycle has some issues, you think, ah, I couldn't get pregnant if I wanted to. Um, yeah, you can.
0: Yes, you can. Um, wow. You are doing such amazing work. And this is all what's in your book correct the yeah
1: yeah um so the book contains a ton of information about what we talked about initially the connection between menstrual cycle and health i talk about uh, ha and um, polycystic ovary syndrome and how those disruptions in the cycle indicate overall health i go into a lot of depth on infertility awareness in particular a ton of depth into cervical mucus and all the amazing things that it does and why it's uh, crucial to understand the fertility awareness method. Um, I go into diet, I go into PMS, period pain. There's over a thousand research citations. It's quite a thorough, um, (laughs) thorough detailed read, but it's also uh, in a friendly way. I'm told that it's um, easy to read.
0: Oh, yeah, for sure. And what was your favorite part about writing that book?
1: Um, That's a really good question. Um, I know I was I put all my rage into the pill chapters. I think that's really obvious. (laughs) Um, So I definitely just because I think it's really important for women to understand it's, it's sort of what you said earlier. I'm not, I mean, I come across like 100% anti-pill, but I'm actually not because I understand the important role that it plays in our in our world today. Uh, what I don't understand is the recklessness of medical professionals to um, prescribe any drug without providing full information about how it can affect. So um, it's not, I'm not saying, you know, no woman should ever take the pill. I think that we should just be informed of, the side effects. And I think that women will fall into three categories. So some women will learn about all the pill side effects and just be like, okay, that's not for me. I don't like this hormone thing. Some women will learn about all the side effects of the pill. And they're kind of like, I'm so glad that you told me I'm going to go on it. But at least if I have an issue, then I can figure this out. So, you know, I think a lot of us fall into that category or this is what's going to be best for me right now. I've had a lot of women tell me, man, I wish I would have known this because I probably would have still taken it, but I wouldn't have taken it for as long. So giving you the opportunity to modify your behavior and other women, women, you know, for whatever reason, whether it's medical reasons, are going to say, you know, thank you for the information. I would continue to take it for just as long. Um, and that's really like, I feel like that's like my purpose here. <laughs> yeah. We need to have those options. So yeah, the pill chapters were...
0: With some of your favorites to write. <laughs>
1: just. Well, I just felt some of kind of like a very important part of this conversation. I have a hard time talking about the menstrual cycle without talking a little bit about the pill. Because it oh, pills really sure. informed our, the way we look at the cycle.
0: Definitely. Yeah. And I think with our conversation here today, it's very obvious that you're not like super anti-pill. You're more um, pro informing women about how their bodies actually work. And it's been awesome to um, listen to you and learn from you and just like feel super empowered about our female superpowers, honestly. Um, and I have a question that I ask all of my guests, and that is, what does it mean to you to be unbreakable? Ooh,
1: that's a good question. Huh. I would say that what it means to be unbreakable to me is to have a really solid and firm understanding of your own body and what's happening in in it. Um, Such a solid and firm foundation of your own knowledge and confidence and a trust for your own intuition that when you're, you know, interacting with someone, whether it's a medical professional or, you know, anybody in whatever capacity and they're dismissing, your symptoms or making it seem like whatever you're telling them isn't a big deal that you still persist Mm -hmm. that would be my definition of unbreakable that you have achieved the level of confidence in your own self you trust your intuition you trust your body so much that no one can just undermine your feelings like if you're saying I don't feel well or I think this is causing me a problem even if they say that's all in your head that you will continue to persist. I think that's unbreakable.
0: How true. I loved listening to that. And you have so much to offer our listeners. You have a podcast of your own, awesome Instagram page. So can you share with everyone where to find you?
1: Well, thanks so much for that. Um, the book is The Fifth Vital Sign. So it's available on Amazon and paperback, ebook and audiobook formats. Um, I also have a charting workbook for those of the uh, old school ladies like me like <laughs> <laughs> to write on paper. Um, the podcast is Fertility Friday. So wherever you listen to podcasts, search Fertility Friday and you'll find me. We're up to, I'm about to release episode 290. So it's been around for a while. Um, Instagram, Instagram is fun. I like to post inflammatory things over there. Uh, so at Fertility Friday. Um, and for the listeners who are, are interested in like, you know, reading a, a free copy of the book, uh, or a free, um, chapter of the book, I've got some goodies. I've got like some free video series and things like that. Fertilityfriday.com slash freebies. Awesome.
0: Thank you so much for having me. This is fun. Yeah, of course. You're welcome back anytime. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Thank you. Thanks, Lisa.